Indie filmmakers Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck turned into billion-dollar-grossing blockbuster directors last year with Captain Marvel. This season, they're the directors and executive producers on FX's riveting limited series about the ERA crusade, Mrs. America. They're here today on Crew Call. So tell me about how both of you boarded the project, because I understand that you, um, you know, in addition to Davi Waller and, and Stacey Shear, you guys were, had some very big voices on this in addition to directing the four episodes that you did. Like you were, you were very much part of the think tank when it came to this operating. So I'm just curious how all of this came together for you guys and then just building it out. Yeah. You, you want to start Anna or? Um, you go ahead, take it, take it away. Yeah. Well, Stacy and Davi and Coco, they actually approached us. They were, they had the first two scripts and an outline for the season, of course. And um, they sent us those first two scripts. We were in post on Captain Marvel. And we were in a very intense post on Captain Marvel and had no interest in in reading or, or committing to doing anything at that particular moment. But, you know, when you get the email that says uh, FX show, political oriented, starring Kate Blanchett, you know, you're, you're more inclined to take a quick read than you might otherwise. So I, I read those first two episodes pretty quickly and I was like, you know what, this is really good because the first episode is really seductive. You know, it's it's. It's um, it's unclear what the point of view of the show really is right away, and I like that. Uh, and then you get to meet the feminists in episode two and really dive into their worlds. And then I could we could really see how the show, the structure of the show, was going to develop over time. And so it was just exciting. It was exciting that it was messy, it was complicated, and these are the things that we look for in storytelling: is that it's not too neat, that the characters aren't just heroes and villains, but that there, there's complexity and layers and gray areas for everybody as well, uh, that they're human. I think that's really what that means. And so um, we, we had a meeting with those guys and we, we, we were on the same page. We talked about how we wanted to shoot it. They loved it. And, and basically we went to Toronto and started hiring the crew and the other directors and, and jumped on this roller coaster. And yeah, we don't, we don't know how to do anything halfway, so. They hired us to do the first two episodes and then we ended up, you know, staying on the whole season and, um, you know, doing the, the last block, the episode seven and nine, and, um, and then staying on through post because we just loved the show and, um, and, you know, got along so well with Davi and the editors who were amazing and, um, and it was, you know, it was just a labor of love, the project for everyone involved, I think. That's what I love about it is how, you know, this is a very, you know, this isn't an, an, an issue you can distill in two hours in a two hour movie. And it's, you know, it's very complex and you're dealing with opposing sides and man, is it eloquent in terms of how you interview how you interwove all these complex opinions and then how it was organized with individual episodes of the players. That 
I, I just, and then the pace of it, the pace of it is, I'm telling you, it was suspenseful. Mm-hmm. It was really suspenseful. And was that, can you talk more about that? Was that always, you know, the gist like, okay, if we're going to do this, we got to make it, we got to make it riveting. It's got to be like a snow. It's got to be, it's got to be a fight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, the historical drama is there. It's really there. And I think one of the amazing things, because you know, this is Ryan and my first time really working in television in, you know, the capacity of also being EPs on a project. Um, and, and really seeing something through with the team. Um, it, it's such an amazing thing to have these nine episodes or even just like having as many, the right number of episodes to tell this story. And yes, you know, we, we always talk about how any one of these women could have an entire series, um, you know, based just on them. And so <laughs> what you end up having is, um, nine episodes that need to carry, need to hold so much in. They're just bursting at the seams because um, the story is so big. And I think what that gives us the ability to do is just keep things moving, choose the most exciting moments um, and, and choose the most, you know, ten- tension-filled moments. Um, and, you know, we always wanted this to not only, um, you know, be <laughs> important, which was like the, the word that we all kind of really wanted to stay away from. We didn't want this to be, you know, nostalgic, important, looking back on something with this objective kind of eye. We wanted to be in it and it to be present and it to be um, funny. <laughs> we wanted people to have a good time while they were watching it and not just learn something. Um, and, uh, you know, the writing really supported that and the actors that we had, you know, every time we looked at, you know, Melanie Linsky and dailies, we wanted to cut to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell, tell me about that. Tell me about bringing the cast together. Was Kate on board first? And then I remember at TCA, Tracy Ullman, who was always sublime. I mean, everyone, there is no false bell being rung in this series by any of the actresses. Um, but Tracy was saying she had to audition a lot. <laughs> um, I'm just curious, was it, were, were, were certain big actors being read or was it as easy as saying, hey, Elizabeth Banks, we want you to play Jill. Um, and Margo Martindale, we want you to play uh, Bella. Yeah, I mean, I think because of the subject matter of this show that people were really committed and excited and inspired to be a part of it. And that's, uh, that has nothing to do with Anna and me. I mean, I think that's, that's the, the history of this movement. I think people were really just excited to, to portray these characters, bring them to life and, um, there wasn't a lot of like, oh, will you please do the show? There was like a, oh yeah, can I, you know, let sign me up, I'm in, you know. So that was exciting because usually there's a there's a dance when you when you're casting up a project with with uh, the actors and um, no, everybody was really really on board and they all we I mean we all had a great time in Toronto too. The actors, I, I 
I wasn't invited to all the parties, but there were a lot of parties. I think Anna went to a few of them that uh, the actors all became pretty close friends and I think they're all in, in contact still. So it was, it's just great because we've, you know, I won't say what, but you know, in the past we've worked on things where not everybody gets along. And so, and that's tough. That's a hard place to be. And this wasn't that when you came to set every day, people were excited to be there and um, get to work. And, you know, Ryan and I, just as filmmakers, do, we're not filmmakers who thrive off of chaos. We love collaboration and having an environment that has, where everyone's having fun. And it made it really easy to work with all these people who enjoyed coming to work every day, enjoyed spending time with each other. Um, and, you know, I think it, a lot of them knew each other, at least peripherally, before they came on board the project, even. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, why it was so easy to cast is because they all wanted to work with each other. Um, and I'm sure Kate was no small part of that. The, um, as far as the historical drama, were the original, obviously Ms. Schlafly, uh, you know, passed away some time ago, but were some, you know, was Gloria Steinem and, um, and some and some of the original, you know, who who the series is about, were they originally consulted? And if not, have you heard any response from them in the wake of the series? Hmm. You know, we aren't so because it had been developed and the first two episodes had been written before we came on. We weren't so involved with um, you know the the minutia of what happened in terms of who was um, consulted or who was sent scripts and, and things like this. Um, I know that when, by the time we were on, Gloria Steinem was not involved in the project. Um, uh, although I, I, I believe that there was some communication with her um, and, you know, the rest of the women, unfortunately, aren't really with us anymore. I'm trying to think, are there any other women who are, who are part of the show who are still alive, Ryan? Uh, I, think, I think there are a few. But I, I think Davi always, you know, there's a wealth of material out there that's been written about the, the movement. And I think Davi really wanted to base it on the, the public record, the information that's out there. And she didn't want to go deep into one person's perspective of, of what happened in that time and be beholden to that, that person's perspective. She wanted to really just come at it from a, a global perspective and, uh, and not any one individual. This episode is brought to you by Watchmen on HBO. Set in an alternate history where masked vigilantes are treated as outlaws, Watchmen embraces the world of the original groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while attempting to break new ground of its own. Starring an ensemble cast led by Regina King and Jeremy Irons, NPR calls the limited series a masterpiece. Emmy eligible for outstanding limited series and all other categories. Well, you guys do a fantastic job of making it unbiased. Uh, uh, for example, but at the same time, what's great is that one of the great things about the show is how it shows 
each of each of their vulnerabilities. For example, there's a line that uh, Brenda says to um, Gloria in in Brenda's episode, where you know Brent, you know Gloria's remarking, oh, you know about her her about Brenda's open relationship with another woman. And Brenda says to her, you're not going to do a press release on this, are you? And then there's other, there are other instances where we see Gloria wheeling and dealing and Betty calls her out on it in the elevator in episode, in episode um, three, I want to say. Yeah. Or the end of episode three. And, and, you know, you, you were, you're working for the McGovern campaign. You're not all on board with Shirley Chisholm and, and then everything, just all of that was just brilliant. Tell me about that. I mean, obviously building complex characters, but just, this was really warts all, but it wasn't like warts all in your face. It was very elegant about it. I was wondering if you could comment on that. Um, well, I, I think that just goes back to <clears throat> Davi and her writing teams, and what they did with the scripts. You know, it wasn't it wasn't all roses on the feminist side, and it wasn't all a good time on the anti-feminist side either. And I think that goes back to that that messiness that we responded to in uh, in the material, and we really just wanted to to bring that to life. And when we worked with the other directors when they were prepping their episodes, we wanted to make sure that that was something that was um, that was portrayed as well we weren't going to hide from the the internal conflicts that these characters had in their camps um and anything else to add to that no well said thanks <laughs> um if we could talk about the finale um which is brilliant the um what is the notion of the movement now did it evolve to pro-choice and pro-life or is it, it it just the show makes it feel like it was this engine and that somehow when we got to the Reagan era when Reagan got sworn in somehow something got ratcheted down even though everybody continued and I was wondering if if you could talk about that um if that's if that you know there, there was something else that Davi said at, T at TCA where she said, you know, the origin story of today's culture wars, you could draw a direct line from 1970 to today through Phyllis Schlafly and really understand how we became a divided nation. Mm. I know that's a lot, but it's mm -hmm. really interesting where you guys end this. Well, I'll just, I'll just jump in because something <clears throat> that I didn't really know about coming into this was that Nixon was pro ERA that the, they were the Republicans were for this thing this wasn't controversial and I think there were it wasn't just about the ERA I think there whether it was the environment or certain anti-war factions the Republicans and the Democrats liberals and conservatives could come together over a lot more ideas find a lot more common ground than they can today and I think that it particularly Phyllis Schlafly really teed it up for Reagan to really run with it and then here we are all the way to Trump, and it's basically Democrats, Republicans are just locked on every, uh, you know, battling on every idea, and there's, there's really little common ground. Yeah, I think, um, you know, 
like a character like Jill Ruckel's house um, is was so fascinating to me. I didn't really know much about her, but the idea that there was this um, feminist Republican who was, you know, had very liberal social views. Um, and so I think that we, we, what we discovered was a time when um, the two parties weren't divided on liberal and conservative lines in terms of the social views. Um, and really over the course of uh, the series, you see these kind of um, wedge issues being used to divide people. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it, the ERA was one of them, but also, um, you know, issues like abortion and a whole slew of things that that really started to you know as the um, religious right kind of started to be, to um, you know become more um, you know as as Phyllis Schlafly and her group started to kind of bring them in to the fold, it really um, you can start to see how things evolved um, and and how we got where we are and. It was really interesting for us even to see little details like, you know, Reagan's campaign slogan, um, which, you know, Phyllis attaches the, the button to her, um, to her jacket, uh, yeah. to her blouse in that final episode. Um, let's make America great again. I, and you reminded me of that when I was watching it. I'm like, oh yeah. I remember, yeah. I remembered that. Um, the, um, the, the other thing um, I wanted to ask about was, um, you know, in direct, did you have any inspirations when in directing this as far as setting up shots and moving the camera? Uh, were, were there any particular scenes for you that can that stick with you? and that you still savor. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a bunch for us. I mean, we really worked hard. We worked, it was not hard, it was really fun actually, to work with Jessica, our, our DP, on, on all four of the episodes that we, we worked on, to come up with that look and, see, and to set it in the first two episodes, but then evolve it into the finale and, and work with the other directors as well and really come up with how, how this show should look and, and grow as it goes on. And, I remember Jessica's wall was covered with Alan Pakula and um, Gordon Willis you know, some, some shots from those movies. Uh, we looked at Clute a lot. We looked at the Parallax View, All the President's Men. Those, are, those were three really big ones for, for Phyllis's world. And then when we get into The Feminists, which is more handheld, a little more loose, we looked at um, you know, the, the Maisel's documentaries, uh, Gimme Shelter and... Um, you know, Wiseman, those kinds of sort of rock and roll loose, loose documentaries where characters are coming into each other's frames. And one shot in particular, where we, which one of my favorites in the in the show, is the the very end of episode one, the pilot, where we meet all the feminists pretty much in one shot. We're following Bella with her hat down the hallway in Congress, and we pan off to Shirley and Gloria, and then follow them into the office, and we meet Betty, and and um, Brenda. And surely, you know, we meet all, all the characters in that one shot and they're coming into each other's frames and it's raucous and it's wild and it's so the opposite of how 
the world we've set up with Phyllis, which is very controlled and she's always very centered and the camera is rarely moving. If it does, it's straight in or straight out or side to side, but um, none of this sort of unpredictable chaos that happens with the feminists. And the man, uh, I was talking with Mary Ramos um, last, last week about the show and uh, she was saying at the end of that episode, there's the Mama Cass song, make your own, make your own music, which is so perfect. And she was saying how that she would set up character lists, uh, playlists for each of the characters and how um, a fifth of Beethoven, which was suggested by Stacy Shear, correct me if I'm wrong. And everybody jumped on it was perfect <laughs> because it, you know, Phyllis would listen to Beethoven, but it it was disco enough for Gloria Steinem and everybody else. Um, that was, um, it, it was just brilliant how in it, you know, you've got this rocking soundtrack, you know, up there, it could topple Guardians of the Get. You could go toe to toe a Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, and it's got this entire kind of symbolic, uh, character symbolic uh, resonance to it, which is just, which is just great. Um, <laughs> the yeah. um, the I was going to um, say you should have been in the room when Stacy Share suggested that. She's like, I I know. I know because we'd been like going through potential main title songs and everybody's like throwing something out and everyone has a different idea and blah, blah, blah. and she's like, this is probably a terrible idea, but, and everybody, there's just like silence in the room, all these people who are never silent. <laughs> and there's like, actually that could be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they, did the song come before the opening credit? Like, did they animate the opening credit sequence after the song was selected? Eventually, they finalized it to it. We were working with other temp music um, for a while, and then finally they um, locked it in with that song. Got Do you remember it. differently, Anna? Is that um, we chose that song pretty early, but we didn't commit to it until they were pretty deep into it. But I think they did most of the animation. Mm to it we had the concept before we had the song but they um yeah they they yeah we're working with the song i think for most of their animation process before we go today um i couldn't let you go without a captain marvel a couple of captain marvel questions um <laughs> the first that i you know one of the things i just wanted to talk about was um one of the fascinating things with Marvel and Kevin Feige, going all the way back to John Favreau, is how he, how the brand takes independent film directors, and a heart and and gives you like a four quad tentpole, and yet you still in in all of it we see your voice. Mm. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about that type of chemistry. I, I uh, once we had Taika Waititi on a panel and he's always very funny and he was very flippant and he was just kind of like, oh, I just, you know, did my thing and, you know, did kind of a test reel and showed them some color with some films. And then they put in the visual, I told actors where to go and they put in the visual effects. Like he was just very kind of <laughs> glib and kind of um, hysterical about it. But 
uh, I'm just curious if you could talk about that going, jumping from, you know, a film, a film like half Nelson to all the way to, to Captain Marvel. Yeah. I mean, that, that is the thing about Kevin and the, and the whole team over there at Marvel is that I, I don't know why they hire directors like us, but they don't just hire us and say, yeah, yeah, shut up, direct the actors. We'll take care of the rest. They genuinely want you to tell the story you want to tell. And, uh, and so it's, I don't know, it just works. I mean, it's, it's really, it's sort of magical over there. And um, it was a, it was a great experience making that movie for us and uh, we learned a heck of a lot and um yeah i mean i, I don't know what the magic potion is I, I i don't know how how they do it but they they continue to do them, mm -hmm. do them well yeah i was like it, we even learned some stuff that helped us with mrs america which you wouldn't expect because <laughs> mrs america seems just about um, the opposite tone wise but you know it's like we're we're we have a limited budget and we're trying to shoot in Toronto for the United States, trying to shoot 2019 for the 1970s. And, you know, it, it was our first time really using visual effects on Captain Marvel. And it was actually quite useful information coming into this project. Yeah. I mean, Mrs. America, obviously the, the visual effects are invisible. You don't want to, they're, they're not drawing your attention to them, but they're there and they're hugely important. And, Without that, uh, it's funny to say somehow Captain Marvel taught us about visual effects for Mrs. America, but it it did <laughs> <laughs> because of the whole making something more retro. No, exactly. just, uh, well, just understand. Yes, yes, to to put set it in a in a time, but also just understanding the nature of visual effects and how they work. We we were clueless coming into Captain Marvel, and we just our eyes have been opened, and now moving forward with any film or TV project we work on, we're going to have that uh, information in our arsenal. What, what, what visual effects were in Mrs. America? <laughs> uh, Crowds. Huge, huge crowd convention shots are, um, spoiler alert, that uh, all those people are not in a huge stadium. That's a lot of visual effects in those sequences. And then any any word about returning for for Camp Marvel two? Uh, I I think that um, I I don't think it's a secret. I, we're not going to do the sequel, but it, it's um, we hope to do another Marvel thing someday, and, and it's um, it's gonna it'll be exciting when we do. Anna and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today on Crew Call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. David, you gotta watch HBO's Damon Lindelof series, Watchmen. This is a mind-blowing series based on a comic book from the 1980s that I used to read when I was 14. It was about the Soviets, Vietnam, Ronald Reagan, but told through the eyes of these aging retired superheroes who have to come back together to save the world. 
And now Damon Lindelof comes along and has redefined it for our era and made it a continuation with new heroes like Sister Knight, played by Oscar winner Regina King, and Looking Glass, played by Tim Blake Nelson. But there's other faves as well from the comic books, such as Silk Spectre, played by Gene Smart, and villains like Ozymandias, played by Jeremy Irons. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, HBO's Watchmen.